We will kick off today's episode with our guest speaker pitching why you should listen to our podcast and follow our journey. Let's get started, folks. Doing what you want to do the most, because I've seen so many people join the Green Roof and practice their skills that they want to practice the most. And I think that's where you can come in as a, as a listener, if you're at SIU or your community member or your administration, whoever you are, take your time. If you have any interest in entrepreneurship at all, to just step foot in and listen, because if you have any interest in entrepreneurship at all in college, and then you're out of college, you're going to be like, okay, well, now it's time for me to buckle down on my entrepreneurship. It's like, I, no, you can actually really start practicing being an entrepreneur now. And you have people around you that will help you make the business of your dreams. Like, just show up. Welcome to an episode of Young Entrepreneurs with the Green Earth team of Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. We are a cross-university team of young, innovative minds positively impacting the landscape of SIU Carbondale through promoting and installing clean energy. Here, we are highlighting our team's activities and impact through our members, sponsors, and supporters, as well as discussing a new, interesting topic. So buckle up, because we are driving to a more sustainable future. Today, we have a special guest, Jacob Bowden from Peoria. Hey, Jacob, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks, Nelson. I'm very grateful to be here and talking with you about the green roof and sharing with you a little bit about myself and what I'm doing too that relates to the green roof. Awesome. I know this is going to be a great episode. Remember back two years ago when I first met you, you're their super passionate dude and you're still super passionate doing so many different things. Um, so getting started today, would you like to tell the audience a bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, well, I remember meeting Nelson because at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, I was a forestry student and joined the University Innovation Fellows team with my friend Grant Depoy. And both of us were foresters, met Nelson, and uh, I'm just a really passionate person about trees. I started learning about trees in 2016 after a couple of years after high school of just working and doing uh, kind of just city oriented jobs like retail and food and washing cars and things like that. Found myself in uh, just kind of a, a, a rut it felt like and I really needed to find some sort of way to, to channel my passions and my, my love for earth and everything. And I found forestry signed up for the degree, got a four-year um, bachelor's of science in forestry, um, graduated cum laude in college, which is really, really cool because in high school, I got like D's and C's and just really didn't enjoy my education, but I really took advantage of my education. And um, so, yeah, a year out of uh, college or half a year out of college, I started my own business called Silvix Forestry and Nursery. Um, LLC. And I started the business to educate about trees. Silvix is the study of trees and their habitat and how they relate to their environment. It's the basis to silviculture, which is uh, the management of trees, especially in a like a crop way or uh, a way, a farming type of way. Um, but Silvix is really just everything you need to know about a tree to plant it in the right context and uh, do what do what we can the best as foresters. Awesome. So studying trees 
for so long. Do you have any favorite kinds of trees any, that you see in person that you were like, oh, that's an amazing yeah. tree right there? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I love sugar maples because it was the first tree I ever identified. I didn't know how to identify plant from anything. I mean, it was just like every time I went in the woods, it was just brown and green. And uh, I went out into the woods with a tree ID book that I bought from Barnes and Noble. Walked out in the woods and uh, figured out one of the trees was a silver maple or excuse me, a sugar maple because I saw a leaf that looked like the Canada flag. So I was like, oh, interesting. And I started um, fiddling around with the pages, found out it was a sugar maple and boom, I just saw a whole bunch of sugar maples all around me and all this brown and green started turning into individuals and my mind just completely had this shift that was like, wow, I need to continue doing this. This is an impressive change in my perception as a human, you know, so. Yeah, I, I agree. Really cool. Yeah, definitely. I know when I go hiking and just out on the trails, there's so many different plants, so many different trees and on runs, like I don't usually stop and see what's around, but <laughs> yeah. if I'm out on just on a hike with my camera, like I'll try and see as many as I can. And if I, if there's any locals around, I'll try and ask them and see if they know and they're able to identify. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really cool thing to be able to just pick things up every now and then. And uh, like during the winter, if you're running the sycamore around here, are really easy to identify because they have white bark. Um, I always love teaching people that during the winter while we're driving. It's like, yo, look out there. That's a sycamore. And you'll <laughs> never forget. Definitely. And down in southern Illinois, isn't there a vast amount of biodiversity in the area? Yeah, in southern Illinois, um, there is a lot of biodiversity because there are different natural divisions that come and their edges line up in southern Illinois. So there's five different uh, natural divisions that are like really close together in southern Illinois, meaning the Southern Till Plain, which comes from the north, that's where the glaciers started scouring Illinois flat. And then the Shawnee Hills in the really heart of Southern Illinois um, is made up of all those sandstone bluffs like Garden of the Gods and Giant City State Park. All those are gonna have those upland oak hickory forests and um, sandstone bedrock from the southwest you're going to get the ozark plateau coming in from missouri and arkansas and uh that's where you're going to get like more limestone outcroppings um, it changes what type of species can be there and then from the south you're going to get this coastal plain coastal tilt coastal plain which is uh where there's swamps and uh, bald cypress trees and tupelos growing out of the swamps. It's really cool to witness all the different types of ecosystems. And then you got the Mississippi bottomlands uh, down there as well. So, uh, and if you even go on the farther edge of the eastern part of southern Illinois, then you'll get the Wabash River border. So all these different natural divisions have different soil, different plants, different animals, um, and they all come together and ecologically, when edges meet, there's a really high biodiversity going on. So when there's five different natural divisions meeting, you're just gonna have an incredible amount of things that exist. That's incredible. And I know when first beginning the Creamer project, it's a good transition, 
that was actually one of the topics I was exploring is why does a green roof thrive in Southern Illinois? What type of plants are we having up here? And overall, how do we keep moving forward? Um, do you want to talk a bit about what you know about the green roof team and what we've been doing the past two years now? Yeah. So from what I understand, Nelson has worked with multiple people in the engineering department, in the agriculture department, in a whole variety of departments at SIU. And I'm not sure how that's changed since re reorganization, but um, everyone that has been gathered together has been crucial to creating a platform which is the green roof. The, the green roof is a platform for everybody uh, at SIU to gather and practice skills experimentally and experientially, not just um, applying theories. It's really getting in there and uh, getting some hands-on experience, building things or learning how to collaborate between multiple groups and people with different ideas and I'm sure there's a lot going on with conflict resolutions and things that have to be worked through to be able to make a, a sustainable project work in the long run. And that's what I've gained from it the most that there's just so much collaboration and different skill sets being applied to just one area on campus, but it's being made for everybody. And that's what, that's so exciting to me. Definitely. Essentially it's one large interdisciplinary project pulling from different so many different fields. I know one of the main faculty I was working with was Dr. Groninger and the he's the associate dean of the College of Agriculture at the time and he just had a focus and great insight on how to go about from the human side and be able to interact with one another. Nice yeah Dr. Groninger was my silviculture teacher um in forestry so I got to know him from the forestry side but to see him be you know in an administrative position and then helping out other students in different departments just goes to show how um dynamic a forester's life can be most definitely and then uh, just not focused on creating a space but then we were interested in we pursued and we succeeded in being able to install renewable energy onto the rooftop to help inspire others to use a roof for their own projects. Because renewable energy is quite um, interesting. It's also super important in the world nowadays. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that renewable energy needs to be explored and the, the type of work and innovations that can come from working on the green roof seem to uh, show a bright future for um, SIU and creating students who actually come up with things that change the world. And uh, I think you know, solar is a very important type of tool and resource. And the more people that work on it and the more people that express their value for it, the more it can become affordable for everyone to start applying in practical ways with houses or commercially. So I think that the, the green roof is that hub for people to enter into the field of solar, 
but also to be able to expand our minds to how else solar can be applied than just like homes or in commercials, commercial ways. And there's so many different ways you can go about solar. I know back in the early 90s, during the um, first, one of the first major oil crises, a country like Cuba, they didn't have access to oil because of the supply and the demand. Then there are several embargoes on them from like say the United States. So they're a country uh, with not many resources on hand and they actually began installing solar in more rural areas. So different communities can have access to power on a small scale, but be able to have enough to be able to live and thrive on. So I found it was interesting and definitely I want to know your um, take on it with renewable energy in developing countries versus developed countries in terms of how yeah. they see it. Yeah. Um, I'll start off with that. I don't know that much, but what I've gleaned off of working with other groups who do work in other countries, like, for example, Trees for the Future, um, they do work with different uh, villages and villagers to and farmers to um, plant lots of trees and grow food uh, in a very sustainable way. And in the, these are in a lot of times deserted regions. And I know there are certain people working alongside the trees of the future and other people that are working on solar projects and getting people energy because, you know, there's a lot of things you got to do to make sure that trees grow. And one of that is have energy to like cool seeds and, uh, refrigerate things that are needed to be refrigerated and have light and cook for children and elders and all this stuff. There's, there's an incredible amount that goes into living on a day-to-day -day basis that we can take for granted when we don't have, when we have access to energy every day. But when you, when you, when you need to literally hunt for energy or go to other villages to be able to get energy, to be able to help your family, I mean, it, it really makes a difference in meeting your needs. It does, and I think that goes back to, I think, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, where you need to feel, where you need to meet your, I believe, um, physiological needs, and then a sense of security, and then as you move up the triangle to the smaller parts, then you get to more of the luxuries. Yeah, like self-realization and actualization, creativity, mm -hmm. and all these things uh, can really start to come about when all your basic needs are met. And that, that really comes into um, uh, mental health and physical health and all this stuff. And I just think, I think that getting, becoming a part of the Green Roof can help students introduce themselves to other, other students who ha have lifestyles that they may be trying to cultivate themselves. Like I've met a lot of students through the Green Roof that are healthy that have that you know take care of themselves exercise but also get out in nature and hike a lot and have opportunities to like contemplate on why they're doing it and it's you know the philosophy behind the green roof is is it's for the betterment of the students and and the faculty everybody at SIU it's very altruistic so have, having that kind of support group and peer group allows for the cultivation of more health mentally and physically Definitely. And I know green technology and infrastructure, it's there, especially in urban areas, to help 
produced for us and be able to give us that sense of, sense of nature once again, especially in busy cities. Um, you mentioned meeting other people. On one of our earlier episodes with Gustavo, he actually mentioned um, a memory back when you guys were in one of our design thing workshops in person. And he was just like expressing um, so much gratitude to being able to meet you and Grant and just feeling oh, yeah. inspired by you guys. Do you remember the uh, workshop I'm referring to? I do, yeah. I was only there, uh, like, me and Grant had to leave early for that workshop, too. It, it was like we dipped in late and we left early, so it was, like, <laughs> there for a very brief period, but, um, yes, I do. And I remember Gustavo, and, you know, that's who I was picturing when I was saying what I was saying. Definitely, and, of course, that's all um, made possible by being part of the University Innovation Fellows. Oh, yeah. um, do you want to talk a bit about uh, what it means to be a fellow and yes, one happy memory that I believe we both shared? <laughs> yeah, well, be shared. Yeah. Um, so I started uh, a project in 2000, and it was late 2018, 2019. I started to cultivate this project with Grant DePoy. Um, to build environmental education programs for children and families at Evergreen Terrace Apartments at SIU, which is a family housing or students who are 21 and up can live there. And it's kind of off the beaten path, like outside of the campus, but it's still on campus. It's an auxiliary land. So it's just a great area to have kids and people out in nature. And so me and Grant started to build a project and then we Grant found the University Innovation Fellows. He was like, dude, we should join this. I was like, you know, we have so much going on in our projects. And I was like, why would we spend time joining this? <laughs> but it was the right choice. And I and I trusted what, what was because Grant kept finding people that were like going to further our project and also um, had a lot in relation with us. So I was like, all right, let's do it. And so we had this really crazy experience going and uh, um, going to Palatine, uh, to Harper College uh, in Palatine, Illinois, Chicago area. And well, this is the honors program. And uh, we were presenting our project. And then on the way back on the train, we applied for the University Innovation Fellows, got accepted, uh, went through the whole training process, and got to meet Nelson, Prem Rana and a whole bunch of other people in our cohort that really got to help us and guide us um, to how we can actually make a difference in the university and make sure our project stays in the university after we leave college because we were just seniors, you know, going into this project. So it was kind of crazy to propose a really big project and get it done in a year. So everyone made it sustainable by trusting that our project was something to work on and put energy towards. So we had a lot of helpful teachers in the honors program and the forestry department uh, and the ag building in general, just people helping us towards to meet this goal. And, uh, you know, we learned how to do design thinking programs and workshops to guide people or even guide ourselves in how we should solve problems at SIU. And uh, Nelson hosted one of these programs um, um, to start to design what, what the green roof would be like and how people would interact with it. And I just started finding myself working on these things uh, bit by bit um, 
alongside my project. And uh, the, the University Innovation Fellows helped me see how the university actually works and helps me to see how much power students have to make a difference at SIU. In fact, I think the students have the most power to make a difference at SIU, mainly because students are paying for the classes in SIU to function. And also because uh, students' values, just they're heard and, and the administration really reacts to them. Talking to our, our leader, uh, Carla Berry, who started to bring up this trip to Austria, <laughs> Austria in Europe, which is south of Germany, and um, supporters Lynn and Carla got us to go to Austria as a as a group, and we had about how many people went? About eight or nine? Um, yeah, definitely. I think about eight. Eight or nine people from SIU got to go travel and meet people from Europe, um, from Mexico, from. Uh, like places like the Netherlands, uh, which had just tons of, yeah, Bulgaria. We had people from Germany, Austria, man, it was just a mixture of people and it was exciting. And we got to learn how to do design thinking workshops and we got to learn how to build a project with a group in a very short period of time that actually met people's needs and solved problems and did all this really cool stuff. And that's what I think is so cool is that University Innovation Fellows is all about meeting people's needs and uh, really making a change within universities to make universities uh, the powerhouses that they really can be. Yeah, it's all focused on <clears throat> human-centered design, understanding what people want, what people need, and how we can meet them at the end. I know from that trip, one of the most exciting experiences was the project itself going about redesigning how parking lots are used yeah. honestly i never thought twice about it a parking lot is just a empty space where people can go park their cars but there's so many different ideas you can go into it yeah yeah me and grant before went, going to austria we walked we were walking around siu just looking at parking lots and looking at you know open lots in town in carbondale and we're just like these aren't being used like most of the time and the only time that it is being used is when people are parking their cars and then the cars just kind of sit there. It's like all this open land, which could be used for anything, for anything at all, uh, is just sitting bare and uh, running stormwater off into the drains and, you know, doing just, it's not doing the, a holistic job. It's really just designed to be a parking lot. So we, we made it, we made designs for parking lots to have like mobile park, mobile units set up in the parking lots uh, to like have a, a food area or a sitting space or uh, whether ideas kind of came up during that to uh, for mobile car parks. Um, I think gardens also a basketball oh, court yeah. anything yeah. that could be portable and changed out quickly based on what people wanted and what they saw fit. Yeah for sure. <laughs> Yeah, using using like just being more conscious with our designs this is the whole purpose of why we went through that 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 um that practice that we did. So it, it's really cool to to like just think more on what can be done with the space that I have and thinking outside of the box. That's how design thinking really helps us. So have you used design thinking post college so far? Yeah, um, I did start 
my whole business based on design thinking and came up with like the basic ideas of what I'd like to offer with design thinking. And it's an iterative process, meaning that it needs to be done over and over again to like continually improve upon ideas. So I'm kind of gearing up to do it again, uh, coming up here soon because I've had a significant change in my business. I've been growing a lot of trees, about 600 trees or so in my mom's backyard, my mom and dad's backyard, selling them in Peoria. And uh, I just got three and a half acres. And for any European listeners, it's about one and a half hectares. So there's a, there's a great deal of land that I have to, that I'm able to work with now. And uh, it's kind of over, it's kind of, it's a challenge, a huge challenge. And I mean, it's only me working or going to be working every single you know, week on it. So I had to figure out how to grow lots of trees on land and reforest Peoria and design thinking is going to help me, I think. Awesome. So going through design thinking and identifying people's needs, what would you say was the driving motivator to focus on trees aside from passion alone? Yeah. Um, I definitely became, you know, I'm, I'm not super romantic about trees anymore. I'm really serious about them now. And, uh, it became, you know, it started out as a passion, but now it became just this whole lifestyle. And to meet people's needs with trees, it helped uh, going through college. I, okay, so I kind of goofed right here. I'm going to change up what I said. Mm-hmm. Um, to meet people's needs with trees is pretty natural. Trees are really dynamic and what type of values they provide for people and land and other wildlife, other critters in general. Um, Trees regulate and support our habitat on earth and they are mainly valued for timber and for recreation and aesthetics. Like people like how they look and they're beautiful. Um, you don't have to know a lot to appreciate trees. You know, you can just look at a tree and just be like, wow, that's amazing. And, uh, but when you learn about them and you start to understand like all the things that they truly do for us, just by being there, uh, they become incredibly valuable and values and needs are the same thing. And when we place our value on something, it's like, okay, this is going to meet my needs. And our needs can be anywhere from those basic, like physiological needs, those brainstem needs, you know, like the, I need food, water and system support and love and sex and all these things. And we have a, uh, you know, more needs than that, that come down to like connection with others and understanding between one another. And I think that trees Everybody knows about trees to some extent. Um, and a lot of, you know, even the most basic extent, like trees help us breathe. And um, when you start to talk about values and needs about trees, like everyone starts to speak up and, and trees become this common point, this common understanding, this, this kind of like overreaching overall, like p- people it's a catch-all in a way. Like everybody knows about them. Everybody's affected by them. So I think that 
you know, to meet, to me, growing trees to meet life's needs is my mission at Selvix Forestry and Nursery because trees just inherently meet needs, but we, we as humans need to figure out ways to think about them by design thinking about them um, to value them more because the only way that trees are managed nowadays, the only way that tree management is, is funded uh, out in forest stands is usually through timber or invasive species removal or for recreation. And recreation doesn't bring in that much money. Timber brings in a lot of money, but how else can we value trees? You know, there's so many different ways you can value trees. There's non-timber forest products that come from trees. There's art that we, that we value about trees. You know, we got to figure out ways to pay. We got to figure out ways for our communities to pay for tree management so that we can support a long-term habitat and also reforestation and building more habitat. Shit, there's so much that you just said that I was vibing with. And <laughs> I know for myself, a mission's, one's mission is, I would say the most important, why someone does something and what it means to them, but not only for themselves, but for those around them. And Jacob, every time I hear about you talking, not only about what you're doing, but just like what's in your mind, I always get pumped up. I'm <laughs> always speechless at the same time because I'm wondering and thinking about like how much there's, how there's so much more to life and I can expand my mind even more and just keep on expanding out. Thanks, man. That means a lot. I, I, I'm really just here to inspire people. And I'm grateful to have you as a friend and to inspire you along your journey because you doing what you do is just creating more platforms for people to start to engage with nature. And that's, that's why I think is the most important and crucial part. You know, maybe not everybody's going to be super interested in trees like I am, but if, if you're interested in nature in any form or fashion, you know, like the green roof, the green roof literally supports the ag building in a lot of ways i mean you, after the green roof like grows plants and there's plants on the green roof you're cooling down the ag building because the plants are up on top of the, the building reducing energy costs and you're also you know creating energy for the ag building and if, if i'm correct and i uh I, that's that's all like creating a closed loop system and there's no, there's not a lot of waste going on there. I mean, it's a continual process that's always getting feedback and you're always gaining the abundance of energy that's going on around us. Definitely. The green roof acts as an insulation layer. So the heat inside the building stays inside. And if there's cooling inside, the cooling stays inside. But additionally, it does tackle on rainwater management. So the water, some of it does get absorbed onto the roof, but then as it goes and say it runs off the rooftop because it went through all of the soil mediums and the layers, it's a filtering layer, is it not? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like plants filter water significantly um, and clean it. Like most of our wetlands in Illinois have been destroyed virtually. And uh, that's why we have dirty water, you know, like our wetlands clean our water. Um, plants in the wetlands, bald cypress swamps, all that, it super cleans the water. In fact, forests clean our water because all the water from rain falls in watersheds. And our watersheds are pretty much uh, the, the boundary of a watershed 
is like all the high points around you. So wherever you're sitting right now, the highest points all around you that form like a bowl um, are, are, is your watershed. And when the water falls and there's forest on those higher parts, the water falls, it, it's, it's clean through the forest. And then once it comes to you and you're able to use it for drinking water, for showering, et cetera, et cetera, less chemicals are going to be in the, in the water. Less harmful chemicals. There's so much, so many different environmental benefits coming out of nature. Yeah. It's almost like if we didn't have nature, we wouldn't exist on the planet. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's so many benefits to nature in general. And uh, all I'm doing is facilitating more nature to exist. So in the future, Jacob, in the near future, being more specific, yeah. how, how do you see... Peoria growing in any area you touch? Yeah. Peoria, Illinois is in central Illinois. It's called the heart of Illinois. It's right along the Illinois River. And the Illinois River is a huge watershed that takes up most of northern Illinois, the northern half of Illinois, and kind of dips into Wisconsin and Indiana. Runs right into the Mississippi River. So the um, Peoria area is all along the river, and so we got a big old river front. We got uh, large river bluffs. A lot of it's covered in trees. Um, however, there's a lot of areas that aren't covered in trees, and a lot of this area also used to be prairie, so uh, it used to be made of native grasses and um, oak savannas, which is like like one tree and then lots of grass around it. And that just continues to happen across the landscape. That's like an oak savanna. And uh, the, the, the Peoria area has a lot of problems uh, environmentally. One of them I think is the most important one to focus on is the Peoria stormwater problem where our stormwater mixes with sewage in our combined sewer overflow systems and then pours into the river. So every time it rains pretty significantly, sewage is pouring into the river here in Peoria. So the way to solve that, that Peoria has proposed is to revegetate the land um, and to incentivize citizens, Peoria placed a tax on all citizens who own land and have concrete or hard services. Um, and then created a grant program to support changing those hard surfaces or concrete into areas that catch water. So um, a lot of people, unfortunately, are just kind of angry that there's a tax placed on them for having concrete. So I'm not sure people have gotten the main point of what the Peoria stormwater issue is about, um, but mainly it's about revegetating the land and Peoria uh, having that policy in, in place and having other land management plans in place, documents that, that are staying like we need to revegetate Peoria are there. And our people are aware of it uh, in our city, you know, our, our, city, our city leadership. Um, but it comes down to just a community level action from the ground up grassroots movement to increase our vegetation on the land. So uh, Peoria has a really 
really big opportunity with just this policy on the combined sewer overflow problem and the stormwater. Think about this, you know, from not just a local perspective, try and reach out to a global perspective. Globally, the World Economic Forum proposed the Trillion Tree Campaign. We have three trillion trees on earth right now, according to uh, the Crowther Lab, um, who did a big massive study of how many trees are on the planet. And uh, there used to be six trillion trees on the planet. So we've deforested half of the trees on earth. And uh, the, the one trillion tree campaign proposes to go from three trillion to four trillion trees on earth. That would mean packing trees in everywhere that we possibly can that trees should probably be or have been in the past. And that means doing this over the next 10 years. And since Peoria has a local policy that's an act and this one trillion tree campaign is in action, they both work together really well, especially uh, the, for the fact that um, in 2020, uh, Donald Trump signed us on to the trillion tree campaign as the United States. So our federal lands, the national forests and you know, national parks and all these things, our national, our national lands, our public lands that everyone theoretically owns are bound to be reforested. There's going to be some work going on, but we need a lot of people to work out there and do that. So there's available jobs coming up in reforestation. And then what about the private lands? What about Peoria? What about our private farmers, commercial lands? What about homeowners with open yards that have space for trees? or shrubs or grasses. What about, what about all of them? So it comes down to grassroots again. So that's where I come in. I'm, I'm here at a, at a local scale trying to solve local problems that, uh, that actually serve the large global problems as well. So I try to think about these things and bring them in holistically and stay policy oriented and not get mixed up in the politics of everything. But since Donald Trump has signed on to this, pro this program, it shows uh, bipartisan support for environmental restoration. And so we have you know, all parties accountable to make sure that this really happens. And that's really exciting to me. Honestly, I see that as an opportunity for a win-win situation for everybody. Awesome, and definitely I agree. <clears throat> Being able to work on the local level in my opinion, you have the most impact because you know the people, you know the area, and working on those big, large-scale solutions, they don't always fall through because of politics and how every country's politics climate is at the moment. So, Jacob, coming up towards the end of our episode today, do you have anything you would like to talk about and cap off this? Yeah. Um, I, think, I think the most important thing for listeners to know about the green roof is that it's a group of people who are open-minded and who are friendly and are a support group for you and doing what you want to do the most because I've seen so many people join the green roof and the whole project and practice their skills that they want to practice the most and I think that's where you can come in as a, as a listener if you're at SIU or your community member or your administration, whoever you are, um, expressing your support or attending meetings or going to 
builds or uh, commenting and sharing and liking everything that's going on with the green roof is really important for it to to work into the future and become one of those projects that overcomes everything that can happen to stop projects, which there's so many projects that, that get stopped over the course of time at colleges because there's so many students moving in and out of the college. Um, but people who are there for the long term can support this really, really importantly. And then also students who are there now, take your time. If you have any interest in entrepreneurship at all to just step foot in and listen, because if you have any interest of entrepreneurship at all in college, and then you're out of college, you're going to be like, okay, well now it's time for me to buckle down on my entrepreneurship. It's like, I, no, you can actually really start practicing being an entrepreneur now. And you have people around you that will help you make the business of your dreams. Like just show up. And with that, we conclude our episode of young entrepreneurs with the green roof team, special thanks to your sponsors, the SIU research park, energy at SIU, SIU sustainability offices, green fund grant, the University Innovation Fellows, CH Electrical, Entertech, Raz Coatings, AES Solar, Sprag Supply Group, H&F Visions, Silvix Forestry and Nursery, Nether Chance Studios, Climate Economy Action Network, and many more. And please visit our website for more information and follow us on social media. Stay sustainable, folks.